Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 22 and chapter 23. So from chapter 22, I'll read the first two verses, and then we'll jump over to chapter 23, and I'll read verses 21 through 23. So starting in chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedediah, and she was Adiah's daughter and was from Boscath. He did what was right in the Lord's eyes and walked in the ways of his ancestor David, not deviating from it even a bit to the right or the left. The king commanded all the people, celebrate a Passover to the Lord your God, following what is instructed in this scroll containing the covenant. A Passover like this hadn't been celebrated since the days when the judges ruled Israel. Neither had it been celebrated during all the days of the Israelite and Judean kings. But in the 18th year of King Josiah's rule, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, honestly, when she first said the reading was from 2 Kings chapter 21 and 22, did anybody get a little cringe of like, oh, she's not going to read two whole chapters of the Bible, did she? Just a little bit? It's okay. You don't have to admit it. You don't have to confess it because, um, at least regarding that children's message a few minutes ago, I'd like to think you're where you ought to be. And that's a point in your favor. Also, I forgot to mention this earlier because uh, this is one of those things that Kennedy does when she's um, here with us. I want to invite you to visit sometime today. Um, now would be good, or, or some of you may already have. Visit ovillaumc.org slash connect and register that you're worshiping with us. You can share your prayer requests, other notes and comments that you'd like to share, and just make sure that we know that you've been here um, and that, and um, if there's any hesitance on that, like giving us any of your contact information, we don't make that available to anybody else. We don't sell it. We don't give it away. We don't even put it on the internet so other people can have it. So well, I guess it, you're filling it out on the internet, but you know what I mean. It's just staying with us to help us connect with you. So please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight because, God, you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Abijah, Nadab. If I could take poetic license and at any rhythmic and musical ability at all, and put all the names of the kings of Israel and Judah together, we could make a couple more verses if we didn't start the fire. Hezekiah got away. What else do I have to say? <clears throat> so I almost did this last week, but here we go. I think a recap of this series in order, because we're in message 10 of an 11-week series. We're telling the story of the entire Old Testament 
in 11 weeks. Now, without binge watching, that's kind of hard to keep up. And we didn't have the time this week to produce a recently, previously, on this sermon series video. So um, I've summed each week up with a single word. Here are the words of the weeks up until now. We started with creation, then frustration, then location, and connection, and equipped, delivered, obedience, and different. And I didn't count those when I was prepping. It's only eight. That means I might have missed one. I'll share that with you midweek. So to connect where we are now with the rest of the story that we've been covering, God's people since week three, so since Genesis chapter 12, have been called and formed as a people to be different than everybody else. Because as a, as a people, God's people uh, have been called to, to be a part of what God wants to do. And he says in Genesis 12 that what God wants to do is to bless all the families of the earth. And God is creating and forming a people to do that. But we struggle to be different than everybody else. Because like God's people, we talked about this last week, in 1 Samuel, we don't really want to be different than everybody else. We want to be like everybody else is. So here's an interesting point that I mentioned last week and let it go in passing and didn't spend a lot of time on. Um, but you remember God's response to his people's desire to be just like all the other nations and have a king. They wanted a king. God has this conversation with Samuel about, I want to be their king, and the people want a king. And you remember God's response. God said to Samuel, listen to the people and set a king over them. So God gave in. I hope you see this. God gave in to the people's wish. He, he did this, I believe, as an indication of God's goodness and as an indication of the power that God has. But especially on that last point, as a reminder of the way that God exercises power. See, we see the way God uses power most clearly in Jesus, but we see it here too. God doesn't overpower. God doesn't make us behave God didn't make David go out to war like all the kings are supposed to do in the spring. God doesn't make us behave. God doesn't shame us into behaving. God wants us to be a part of what God's doing so badly that God works a lot of the time within our limits and even our desires. So to be clear, had God, God's people chosen to follow God's God rather than their own ways and their own desires, their path forward might have looked different, but they didn't. But we all at times in our lives too, when we aren't faithful to God, we all have some version in our lives. I invite you to remember some of these times now when we say things like, God, I'm just not ready to do that. Or, I don't know, God, I think I'll try it this way. Or, I don't believe that's actually God speaking to me with that. I think that's an imposter's voice. Or, thanks God, but the grass is greener over there right now, so I'm going to go do that instead. Do you have times that, that you've, you felt like you had a pretty clear indication from God about what you ought to do, or which way you ought to go, or what choice you ought to make, and then in some of those cases you opted for something else anyway? Or maybe sometimes it isn't quite as clear 
looking forward as it was looking backward. Because we all know that hindsight is almost always better than foresight. <clears throat> I started to, to say hindsight is 2020, but after the year we had with 2020, I'm, I'm not going to use that cliche anymore. It's probably fair to say that people don't have the same perspective looking forward in time as they do looking back in time. The people of God in the, the, in the era of the kings didn't have the same perspective, all of them, that Samuel had. It's, it's kind of like those lessons that we try to teach our children. But it's hard for a child to come to grips with the honest truth that once upon a time, we were all children. I mean, you remember your child looking at you and you could see clearly in their eyes that they had no awareness at all that you were ever the age they are right now trying to get cookies out of the cookie jar when you don't know it. Kids don't realize, really, that we were all kids at some point. And, not to put this on the kids that are present, because we've all been kids, we've all been on that side of this equation as well. And kids, sometimes I think kids have trouble realizing and recognizing that we were all kids because some of us as adults try so hard to separate ourselves as adults from ourselves as kids. What do you remember about being a child? Do you remember anything about being a child? If you want to, if you still have that ovillaumc.org slash connect, share some stories with me about being a child. Do you remember the hardships that your family faced when you were a child? Do you remember facing similar hardships later in life as an adult? And only then realizing all that you weren't aware of when you were a kid. There's so much more going on than children realize. I think if we stay in touch with our childhoods, we gain all kinds of opportunities as older people, as adults, um, to gain new respect for our parents and also sometimes to decide we want to do things differently. Because let's face it, your parents didn't get everything right. My parents didn't get everything right. As a parent, I haven't and I'm not going to get everything right. I've admitted that in front of my kids. If any of my kids ever become parents, they won't get everything right either. The power of parenting, though, isn't in getting everything right. The power of parenting is in refusing to quit even when everything doesn't go right. We have a God like that. God won't quit just because everything doesn't go right. In, in, in simpler terms, God is faithful. Saul was Israel's first king. He didn't last very long as king. Turned out Saul enjoyed the power of being a king too much and then thought he could smooth talk his way with God out of having been obedient by offering more sacrifice. And God makes it clear to him through Samuel that what what God wants is obedience more than sacrifice. So Saul didn't get to be king for all that long. And then we get 
to the king that we talked about a little bit this morning. I'm going to share a little bit of his story, his uh, origin story. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king. Fill your horn with oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I found my next king among his sons. How can I do that, Samuel asked. When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll make it clear to you what you should do. You'll anoint for me the person I point out to you. Samuel did just what the Lord instructed. He came to Bethlehem, said the city elders came to meet him. They were shaking with fear. Do you come in peace, they asked. Yes, Samuel said, I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel made himself holy. He made Jesse and all of his sons holy and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and thought, that must be the Lord's anointed right in front. But the Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or his stature because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at things as humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. So they went through each of the boys that were there together, and the Lord hasn't picked any of them. And Samuel asked Jesse, is that all your boys? Uh, they're still the youngest one, Jesse answered, but he's out keeping the sheep. Send for him, Jesse, Samuel told Jesse, because we can't proceed until he gets here. So Jesse sent and brought him in. He was reddish brown, had beautiful eyes, and was good looking. The Lord said, that's the one, go anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him right there in front of his brothers. The Lord's spirit came over David from that point forward. So David is anointed king as a boy, but he doesn't actually get the throne for 15 years or so. And even when he did, as I mentioned in the children's time, David had some trouble of his own as a king. He didn't go out to war as kings do. He stayed in, in Jerusalem and got himself in trouble with Bathsheba. And I don't have time to go into that story. It's in 2 Samuel 11, I believe. And within three chapters, that's not enough trouble for King David, the man after God's own heart. David has a son named Amnon. David's son, Amnon, raped David's daughter, Tamar. So Absalom, brother of Tamar and another son of David, kills Amnon and remains so hurt that he began to plot rebellion against his father, the king, and take over the kingdom of Israel. But before that even got tricky or bad, Absalom avenged Tamar by killing Amnon. Sounds like a soap opera, kind of, doesn't it? It's in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel. So Absalom avenges his sister's death by killing his half-brother. And so he fled for fear of his life. But then there's this really moving story in 2 Samuel 14 about Absalom being restored, and he moves back into Jerusalem. But then he lives there for two years, and the king, David, his father, doesn't even bother to come and see him, and he doesn't bother to go see his father. Which leads any dad to say, 
What's up, David? Then Absalom dies at the hands of David's men. And David is heartbroken. As you can tell from the Psalms. Take this little bit from Psalm 31. David writes, Have mercy on me, Lord, because I'm depressed. My vision fails because of my grief. As do my spirit and my body. My life is consumed with sadness. My years are consumed with groaning. Strength fails me because of my suffering. My bones dry up. I'm a joke to all my enemies. Still worse to my neighbors. I scare my friends. And whoever sees me in the street runs away. Or just these words from 2 Samuel. When David, immediately after David received the word that his son Absalom had died, David said, Oh, my son Absalom. Oh, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And here, finally, we see something of what we've known about David since we were introduced to him. That he's a man after God's own heart. He laments that he had not died for his son, for his emotionally tortured and distant and rebellious son, which we know foreshadows God's acts for us in Jesus. No matter how emotionally tortured or distant or rebellious we are, God is faithful. But there's always our side of the equation. God is faithful. We are. Well, sometimes we're faithful. We're thankful not only that God is faithful, but that God's faithfulness to us doesn't depend on our faithfulness in return. In fact, the whole nature of the covenant that God has made with God's people from Abraham's day to now is that God's faithfulness does not depend on our faithfulness. So you may know that David's son by Bathsheba named Solomon, inherits the throne and goes on to do things that Samuel warned a king would do when the people wanted a king. And God said, but I want to be their king. If they have a king, the king will do these things. Yes, Solomon asked for and demonstrated wisdom. Most of us know that story. And he built for the glory of the kingdom of God. the great temple, and and he built the kingdom so grand that it became the envy of all the surrounding nations and kingdoms as well. But he did so at great cost, and to share that great cost with you, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy, you'll know, is about the story of God's people when they're still they're being prepared to enter the promised land. So it's well before, um, before Joshua, before the judges, before King David, before King Solomon. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 14 through 20, it says, Once you've entered the land the Lord your God is giving you and you've taken possession of it and settled down in it, you might say, let's appoint a king over us, as all our neighboring nations have done. You can indeed appoint a over you a king that the Lord your God selects. You can appoint over you a king who is one of your fellow Israelites. You are not allowed to appoint over you a foreigner who does, is not one of your fellow Israelites. That granted, the king must not acquire too many horses 
and he must not return the people to Egypt in order to acquire more horses, both of which Solomon did, because the Lord told you, you will never go back by that road again. The king must not take numerous wives so that his heart doesn't go astray. Solomon had 300 wives and 900 concubines. Nor can the king acquire too much silver and gold instead when he sits on his royal throne. He himself must write a copy of this instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. That instruction, in the, this is the Common English Bible. In the Common English Bible, the word instruction is capitalized, and it refers to the first five books, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. That instruction must remain with him, and he must read in it every day of his life so that he learns to revere the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this instruction and these regulations by doing them not by being overbearing toward his fellow Israelites, and not by deviating, and by not deviating even a bit from the commandment. If the king does that, he will ensure lasting rule in Israel for himself and for his successors. Solomon didn't. But Josiah did. So roughly 30 kings, more than 30 kings, after Solomon is removed from the throne. And Solomon broke faith enough that the kingdom was divided now. It was just the kingdom of Israel. It becomes divided into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, which is all the other tribes. And there followed many kings of Israel and of Judah. Cue, we didn't start the fire. Some were good. Most were evil in that they didn't take their responsibility of the leadership of God's people. So among the good kings was Josiah. He became king at age eight. Eighteen years later, at age 26, I should ask kids to do the math for me. He sent the high priest to count the money that the temple had collected. There, the priest found the instruction scroll. So this instruction scroll that each king was supposed to have made his own copy of had not only not been made by all these kings, but, excuse me, it had been lost in the temple under stuff. And so the priest found the instruction scroll. He presented it to Josiah. And Josiah took this seriously. Josiah as Julia read this morning, read the instruction to the people and declared that they, as God's people, would observe Passover, which had not been done since generations before any of the kings. God is faithful across the generations, even when we aren't. God's people wanted a king that they could see and hear. And God gave in to their desires and gave them kings. And through it all, God was faithful. God is still faithful today. Please pray with me.